0: And welcome to episode two of Inside Milford, Granite Town Media's behind-the-scenes podcast, highlighting the people who make the town of Milford, or in the case of this week's guest, the uh, school district of Milford, run smoothly. My name is Tim Fine and I will be your host today. Um, we are recording this episode on August twentieth, twenty nineteen. I'm very excited about our guest today, Dr. Jessica Heisinger. Did I pronounce that right? Perfect. Heisinger. Yep. Uh, Milford's new superintendent of schools. Dr. Heisinger was first hired as interim superintendent in June of 2018 after the retirement of former superintendent Bob Marquis. <coughs> Dr. Heisinger has over 20 years experience as a teacher and an administrator and recently signed a four-year extension to stay here in Milford through 2023. Welcome, Dr. Dr. Heisinger thank Thank you for coming.
1: Thank you Tim for having me.
0: Uh, Not a problem. So I thought I'd kick this off today um, as we discussed earlier. I want to start off by kind of trying to learn a little bit about you personally kind of get get a background on who you are you know and then we'll kind of progress into the job and 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 your goals and that sort of thing. Um, So personally so how would you describe like let's pretend this was a job interview and I was just gonna say hey you know tell me about yourself like who are you where do you you know where'd you grow up you know where I think I think I know where you live because I've been googling a lot about you lately okay so um yeah just start off with a little bit about, about who Jessica Heisiger is
1: sure absolutely so I was born in Brooklyn New York I mostly grew up in central New Jersey uh, I moved to Florida my senior year of high school and wound up you know interesting enough, I had just an incredibly traumatic personal event happen. I found myself homeless at 18, um, just kind of put out on the street and um, really didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I never imagined going into education. I hadn't planned on ever being a teacher. In fact, when I left high school, I left thinking I would never ever step foot in a school again. So I became a business major initially and then, you know, this sort of situation happened and, you know, I just came to a crossroads and I it felt as if I either needed to go back to school and sort of, you know, rebuild my life or, you know, there was just no other option but to end it all. And so I had a family who had taken me in and it helped me quite a bit, and uh, I followed their daughter to a small Christian college in South Carolina. And I went there, and this was sort of my first introduction to the concept of equity. And how I define equity is that you know each individual child receives what they need to uh, achieve their greatest potential. And so I really struggled that first semester, really didn't have a whole lot of direction. And the dean of the college, you know, had heard that I was really having a rough time, my grades weren't good, and I was really uh, suffering from depression. And she brought me in and she said, you know, what are we going to do with you? Um, How can I help and support you? And so she broke every rule in the book um, that the the college had established. You know, in order to be a full-time student, you had to take 15 credits. Um, you had to live in the dormitories, a specific dormitory. So she moved me into the freshman dorm. She lowered my hours to nine credits. Uh, sh- and she heard that I was an excellent uh, history tutor. And she decided that, you know, maybe it would be a good match for me if uh, I tried the education department. And so she revamped all of my classes, she moved me into a new dorm with a new roommate. Uh, she lowered my hours, uh, she set me up with um, supports and I wound up thriving and really found my mission in life and that was to really help and be a strong advocate for any child you know who um, needed that support to reach their full potential. And so equity became a huge driver in my life and you know just a sense of urgency for kids like me who found themselves in in a predicament um, in their lives that um, they never, you know, thought they'd be in and Mm -hmm. so for me education became a catalyst it became an avenue a pathway to uh, great things in my life and I believe that for all children and so when I say all children I mean all children Mm -hmm. you know even the ones that you know come from backgrounds that are challenging from trauma from low-income homes from parents who may not be as involved um, that's where we as educators have the ability to really change and transform lives and put kids on a different pathway Mm -hmm. and That's what I think is so important about our work and why I'm so passionate about it. So after uh, I graduated with my teaching degree, I started teaching um, in South Carolina. I've taught in Texas, New Jersey, Massachusetts. I went and got my um, administrative degree from the University of Massachusetts Lowell and um, shortly after that I got my doctorate there and my dissertation uh, won the Coburn Award for um, outstanding research and actually three uh, papers were developed from my dissertation um, that were published in journals. So I'm really proud of that work, um, that I was able to contribute to our profession in that way. I have three beautiful children. Um, My daughter is gonna be 22. She is graduating from college this December. My son is a sophomore, Uh, they call them young at West Point Military Mm -hmm. Academy super proud of him and uh, I have a 12 year old daughter who's entering seventh grade who basically runs our house Mm -hmm. Um, as we all know 12 12-year-old girls, and my husband is a teacher, um, so we're both very passionate educators, uh, really on the same mission in life, and that's really to, to change lives, to, to really transform um, kids' paths through education, and um, you know, that's what brought me to Milford, because mm-hmm. I felt like I could make a huge difference here for oh, kids.
0: That's great. That's a great story. I, I didn't know any of that. Um, so, um, so you've got the three children. Did any of did any of your children ever attend any of the schools where you worked?
1: No, and that's always to me been a good thing. Is it? Because that was. I
0: was going to be my question. I wasn't sure whether it's good or bad. It would be difficult on both of you, I would think.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's, my kids have been very supportive. I mean, I became a superintendent. I was, I think I was the youngest superintendent in Massachusetts when I first uh, was appointed in Freetown Lakeville. And my daughter was in kindergarten at the time. So, you know, my kids have been very supportive. My husband's been very supportive. Uh, My work, you know, as I've said, is very passionate. I'm very passionate about it. And uh, I just feel like, you know, this is sort of the mission of my life and my family's you know been very supportive in helping me uh, do that and um, I'm very lucky you know you can't do this work at this level uh, if you don't have a supportive family behind you
0: yeah I can see that did you um I just just thought of this right now while you were talking raising three kids did you ever have any situations where you had to had disagreements with the administration, the teachers that you had to, um, and any, you know, confrontational issues as a parent?
1: Um, of course, you know, there were, there's been disagreements that I've had um, hun- knowing you know how schools work and you know options and opportunities you know there's been times where I've sat down with staff that are working with my own children I remember when my son was in 5th grade he needed to be put on a 504 and he was he was really struggling And there were times where that 504 wasn't being carried through or being met, and I had to sit with the teachers. And once we all got on the same page and and understood what needed to be done and those things were followed through on, the great thing was is that he was off that 504 by the time he left eighth grade. And you know, look at him now. I would have never imagined, if you knew this kid in fifth grade (laughs) or third grade, you'd never imagine he'd be where he is at the level of success he's at. And, And I think it's just a great example that we can never underestimate our ability to move a child from the place they are which may seem to us at the time just completely untenable to a place of just tremendous success that surprises us all and I think that's the great aspect of our work is that we have the ability and the control to do that and I think sometimes when we're in it we feel that there's so many outside factors that you know keep us from being able to do it and we we almost disempower ourselves from being able to um, make those those changes so you know it's always been a partnership to me in working with my kids teachers great
0: I'm sure that helped when you when you made the transition to administration when you're on the other side absolutely so what do you what do you do any personal hobbies what do you like to do in your spare time
1: Well, I can't say the job allows me a lot of spare time, uh, but I do. I love to go to the gym, you know, to try to take care of myself and my health. I love to read fictional books. I love novels. And so if I could just get lost in a novel for a whole weekend, I love to do that.
0: What, What are you reading right now?
1: Um, right now, I'm, I'm not reading a book right now, uh, but, you know, in the past, you know, semester, I've tried to just catch like maybe just a weekend and just get lost in a book, mm. you know, just to free myself from all of the swirling things around me. Um, I do love to travel. I don't get to do it as much, but you know my goals in the next few years is hopefully to be able to go overseas. I've been there once, um, but it was on a work trip to Finland and Germany to study their educational systems. So I wanna go for fun, maybe see Italy or Spain or something fabulous like that. Oh, great,
0: that's great. Okay, so let's. Uh, you already talked a little bit about your education background. Um, I've got some notes here. Uh, like I said, I did some research on you. I tried to do my homework, so I, a lot of the stuff you just talked about, um, I had already looked into. So I see at UML, you you have your doctorate in education. Yes. Is what? What's the difference between a is it called an EDD? Is that how it's pronounced? Yep. A doctor and a, and a PhD in education. Right. some schools offer w- one or the other, right? Yep.
1: So the main difference is that when you do a PhD the requirements for my EDD and a PhD are exactly the same I had a seven chapter dissertation I had the same number of credit hours that I had to complete so the difference really is that when you go for a PhD you're essentially going down the avenue of research and scholarship Mm -hmm. versus an EDD where you're really looking to be a practitioner in the schools okay and so uh, you know some schools now have different um much different aspects to EDD versus PhD, but at UML it was almost identical. Okay. My, my dissertation advisor was a Harvard graduate and she made me do the requirement for UML was a five chapter dissertation, but she felt it necessary to make me do a seven chapter dissertation. Um, and I'm, I'm glad she did. In retrospect, you know, I was able to win the Coburn Award, I was able to make some significant contributions because she held me to a very high expectation. Can't say I was the happiest camper during the process, but um, I'm really glad now that it's over.
0: So, yeah, so so what, I know you talked about a little bit ago, but the Coburn Award, what exactly was that again?
1: The Coburn Award for Outstanding Research at UML um, is the highest award you can receive uh, for a dissertation in the education department. And... Um, so
0: this was part of your... Doctorate.
1: Yes. And so the faculty comes together and they pick one uh, award winner each year of the graduating class. And I was also very privileged to be chosen as the commencement speaker for the graduating class of 2012 for all of the graduate, um, all of the graduates from every higher education department. And that was really an exciting opportunity for me.
0: Yeah, and I've got that written down there. I, I did find that, and I actually watched your speech. It's on YouTube. Yes. Really, so I got to see it. So so that's why I was, I was wondering whether it, because I was going to ask you what, how you, um, how were you chosen to be the speaker? Is that like valedictorian type thing, like the top of the class, something like that, or was it had to do with the Coburn Award?
1: No, it, it didn't have to do with the Coburn Award. Uh, they had asked me to submit uh, a speech for it, and I did. I remember when I first had to go before the committee and give my speech. I actually was traveling in in South Carolina from Myrtle Beach back to Massachusetts, and we got our travel time got pushed back, and I actually had to do the speech uh, over my iPad from the back of my. In in law's car (laughs) and so I was sitting in the back seat it was a thousand degrees the air conditioning I couldn't have the car on so I was like literally sweating bullets and I had to give my speech to the committee Um, I did it from the back of my my father-in-law's car and they picked me to be the commencement speaker uh, because they thought the message that I had was something that all the graduates uh, would appreciate hearing and the graduate families
0: Great. Yeah, like I said, I did listen to it. Um, One of the things that you talked about in the speech, and actually it was one of the first topics you got into, is you made a point out of mentioning that both your master's and your doctorate you got – on the, um, I don't know what they call it, the continuing education, the online... online. Not
1: my doctorate. Oh, not your doctorate. Nope, just, just, just oh, my master's okay. degree. And the reason for that was I had just moved to Massachusetts and I had been a teacher for about six years and I was a single mom and I needed to sort of, you know... Mm -hmm. take that next step in my career. And I was looking for how I would be able to do that, being a single mom, working full time, living in Plymouth, Massachusetts, having just moved to Massachusetts for the first time all by myself with no family in the area. And I found the UMass program and it was brand new. And it was at a time when Marty Meehan was really looking at transformation of the UMass uh, system. And they started this new online program and I was uh, part of the first cohort and it was it was wonderful i was able to finish my master's degree in 10 months and that following year i was able to get an assistant principal job in randolph massachusetts and that was my first sort of step into the administrative realm
0: oh that's nice that's nice so you didn't didn't find there was any um drawbacks to doing the online no some i mean it's because i did the same thing i i got my master's from northeastern and i did it with a, with a family and a full-time job and going back and forth, and it, it, it's got challenges. It,
1: it was challenging, I mean, just the time that yeah. I was having to put in. It was, you know, working full day. I was also coaching as well, basketball, and... Um, it was just an inordinate amount of time and dedication. I was taking three classes each semester. I took four classes during the summer, wow. so it was just a very busy time. You know, while juggling my two little ones, they were mm. I think four and six at the time.
0: Oh. Were you a basketball player when you were younger?
1: I was. Oh, yes. In college? Um, I I played uh, partially uh, for just a short time in college, but I was a high school player um, and played all through middle school I was the uh, athlete of the year you know at my school when I was younger so uh, in middle school so athlete, athletics is also a hobby of mine I love to watch football I love to you know go to sporting events uh, with my kids and my family
0: right all right so you already talked about some of your earlier jobs before I've got um, I didn't didn't know the, um, the one about Randolph um, that wasn't I looked on your LinkedIn page incidentally that that's where I found a lot of this stuff um, so you're your principal in Westford mass yep uh, middle school principal for a couple of years, then you were the assistant superintendent in Freetown and apparently Randolph as well.
1: Uh, nope, not Randolph. I went from uh, Westford to Freetown, Lakeville, and I was the assistant superintendent there. And then when the superintendent left, they appointed me uh, the interim superintendent. Um, and even though they offered, offered me the job, it was, gosh, I was driving for three years, about an hour and 20 minutes each way. Wow. It was a really long commute. I, from I looked Plymouth? from Burlington. Oh, okay. by that time I had moved to Burlington so uh, it was it was just a really long time in the car for three very long years and that year we passed a t- prop two and a half override which uh, hadn't been done in the district for a good decade and that was a big big win for the system we were looking at cutting about a million. Five out of the budget. But what I was able to do is similar to what we did here was to sort of restructure and reallocate a quite a bit of funds because initially we were about $2.5 million, uh, in a deficit. And so we were able to sort of move things around and shift and reallocate and lower what the need was for the prop two and a half to about a million five and we were able to get that passed and it passed by 80 votes and I remember just being in tears at the polls when we finally realized that it passed because everyone said it was gonna fail. Everyone in town said it was gonna fail. I was at the polls, I was holding signs, we were all like you know, rooting on people to come vote and never in a million years thought it would pass but we did and uh, it was a really, really big thrill so that
0: was an override uh, yeah. that, that passed? Yeah. Oh, right. okay.
1: Yeah. In Massachusetts, you can only um, increase the taxes 2.5% uh, unless you have a vote taken, and then you can pass, you know, for more. And so it was a big, big deal for a town like that to pass a, a $1.5 million override. So that was really exciting. And then I went to Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my kids were still really young, and I thought, you know, urban work would be really interesting. I hadn't done that necessarily in a, in a big city, uh, so I went to Cambridge and became their assistant superintendent. And when I started there, we were a level three district. We had just been identified a level three district, which means that we were underperforming. And by the time I left, we were the second highest performing urban in the state, and a lot of that had to do with you know very similar work that we're doing here is just uh, strengthening the core of instruction, you know, strengthening the elementary programming, lowering class sizes, you know, providing a lot of professional development for teachers, putting systems in place that really improved teaching and learning, and uh, we did a lot of great work in Cambridge, so I was I was pretty excited about the results that we got
0: great and incidentally your linkedin says you still work there so
1: i know you know it's so funny it, <laughs> but it says i'm milford superintendent so i i'm really not sure I, i've got to figure out linkedin better
0: and there's like a checkbox in there that says i still work at this position if you uncheck it then they'll they will they will not say that you still work there good to know so not that so the interesting thing that I um that I wanted to talk about is, is after you came, but you went to Southbridge yes. and you were a receiver. Can you talk about that? What exactly a receiver is?
1: So a receiver is appointed by the commissioner of education to take over a, what they call a failing system. Hmm. And for, you know, over a decade, maybe two decades, you know, Southbridge had really been struggling. I think they went through seven or eight superintendents in a matter of six and a half years. And so the commissioner uh, came in, the State Board of Education decided to put the district into receivership, and uh, the commissioner at the time appointed me to be a receiver. And when you're a receiver, you essentially have the authority of both the school board and the superintendent, so you have full authority Mm -hmm. to overhaul and restructure the system. Now, it's not carte blanche. Uh, Really, a lot of it was driven by the State Department of Education, And you have to create a turnaround plan. So uh, I was the key author of the turnaround plan in collaboration with the Commissioner of Education. And we began to execute that turnaround plan. And we were making, you know, very good strides uh, in moving, you know, the needle on student outcomes during that particular time. Um, But again, it was, gosh, it was probably three and a half hours in the car each day I didn't yeah. move from Burlington to Southbridge it's all the way down by the Connecticut border mm-hmm. and it was it was very it, it was challenging we did a lot of great work um, but it was ch- it was difficult too you know politically you're in charge of doing a receivers review mm-hmm. and so you know in the papers it's like superintendent eliminates 50 teachers right and that makes you look like you're a hatchet oh, woman yeah. oh yeah and you know but that was required under you know the commissioner that's but by the commissioner's directive and but you know interestingly enough I had a great relationship with the union president there Um, we did great professional development with teachers Um, I was always in classrooms we were doing instructional rounds we were doing improvements uh, you know in our curriculum so you know there was just certain mandates that were required under the statute Mm -hmm. that had to be done and um just
0: Yeah. I mean I gotta believe that it must have been challenging. And you had mentioned Cambridge was level three. I read that um was level five. Does yes. that mean it's that much worse or Oh that much, yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, I mean that's the, as that's as bad as it could get yeah. under the, the Massachusetts guidelines. You know, I have to say you know, you can Google me and you can make whatever assumptions you want, but I've taken on the hardest jobs in our profession. That's
0: very clear. When yeah. you, exactly.
1: <laughs> and with those jobs come, you know, challenges that, mm-hmm. you know, I think people underestimate and mm-hmm. people can write whatever they want and say whatever they want about you, uh, but, you know, and make assumptions about you. But, you know, you can't you can't deny the outcomes that I've been able to get, you know, in working with folks, and, um, you know, I've been able to do some great things, and I'm proud of it.
0: Yeah, no, you should be. I mean, just the fact that you uh, took on that job in, in Southbridge, I mean, seven superintendents in five or six years is amazing
1: knows that, that's
0: amazing how that's even possible
1: tremendous turnover and I, w- I lasted the longest <laughs> so you know I have to be somewhat proud of that too
0: yeah well congratulations for that so that brings us to Milford yes so as we mentioned in the introduction let's see you were you're were hired at the, the interim superintendent in June of 2018 a little over a year ago yes right yeah okay so now, that one, uh, your hiring was, um, I guess you used the word controversial, not anything to do with you, but the process that the school board went through to hire you. So, t- just uh, to the to the extent that you can talk about that, I mean, I don't want to get into anything that's n- non-public and that sort of stuff, but so what was the process? Like, who did you, who, I assume you applied for the job? How did you find out about the job?
1: So I found out about the job through the New Hampshire School Board Association. Uh, They contacted me and uh, let me know that there was an interim opportunity in Milford and asked me if I'd be interested in the position and could they send my resume to the board mm-hmm. and so i said sure it sounds like a nice quiet new england town and i thought to myself that sounds like a great place after having been through you know some really hot political spots like cambridge and you know significantly hot political spots like Southbridge. right, And so they sent the board my information and a couple of weeks later they asked me to come in to interview with the entire board and mm-hmm. I did. And had a really great conversation. Um, for two hours. I know that they interviewed other people, and the board chairman called me uh, shortly after that and asked me if I'd be interested in taking the interim position, and I asked if it were possible for this position to become permanent, and they said possibly, and told me that you know they had talked about a process. Mm-hmm. And I began, I think it was my first day here to fill out my paperwork was June 24th. That afternoon I was in collective bargaining already with the <laughs> association, and um, July, I think, 5th was my first official day after I dropped my son off at West Point, and we went from there. And I started like I would any job, whether it was permanent or interim, and that was with a 100-day entry plan that was very, very thorough, Mm -hmm. uh, that would allow me to really, for the first 100 days, interview Teachers and community members and business owners, and look at every aspect of data and information policies. You know, just understand the history of Milford. I had a meeting with, you know, Mark Bender, I had meetings with. you know, different you know, business owners all over Milford. I had focus groups with nearly 100 teachers uh, and other specialists, met with every one of my, my individual teams. So it's a pretty comprehensive plan. I've put it out, it was online. I've, you know, shared it with the community. And that really informed a lot of the work uh, and the strategy that we've taken on now um, moving forward from the voices who are on the ground mm-hmm. and who have been here for a very, very long time.
0: now just briefly get back to the 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 process i'm just curious you've been through other you've obviously had other jobs is that typical and i don't know i don't know um um Did you expect to be interviewed by other people as well as the board, or is it usually school boards uh, exclusively interview for superintendent jobs or would?
1: It depends, right? So in an interim situation like that, it's typical for a board to interview the people Mm -hmm. and then appoint an interim. a full-blown superintendent hiring process is much more inclusive, right. right? So the board would interview, or the board and a committee would interview, and then I'm sure that they would have you know, public forums for the person to come in and do tours of the community, meet with parents, and a mm-hmm. variety of things, similar to what I did with the high school principalship. Right. So uh, that wasn't done, but the board does have the authority, via New Hampshire statute, to appoint a superintendent. Right. Uh, with or without a process, and mm. the board chose to do that. Yeah. And I think that the position that they took was uh, they had a deeper, uh, more thorough interview having me on board for three, four months seeing me you know, doing the job than they would ever meeting with someone for an hour and having them talk to the community for an hour and then making an informed decision. So I think that's, fair. that's the position that they took.
0: All right, sounds good. So... Um, Getting to the position itself, how would you describe the role of a superintendent to somebody? I mean, if you ran into somebody that you know, had no idea what a superintendent is and you had to explain what your job is, what what is your job? What's what what is your responsibilities? What is not your trans- responsibilities? Um, so,
1: I think the superintendent role essentially is like the um, CEO of an organization, or the executive administrator of an organization, and so just as in a corporation, you have a board of trustees that manages the CEO, this board of education uh, oversees the superintendent, and my- You the
0: board of education, you meant the school board? Yeah, the school board, sorry. because there is a board of education
1: Yes. as well, correct? Yes, the okay. school board. Sorry, they call them different things in different states. Sure Our school board uh, oversees the superintendent similar to a board of trustees would see um, a CEO in a company. And so my job essentially is to administrate all aspects of the district uh, when it comes to operations, finance, maintenance, facilities, uh, teaching and learning. So we generally you know, see in an organization you have two sides of the house, teaching and learning, and then you have the uh, organization. And And so I oversee all of it.
0: Okay, so that so pretty much everything. Yeah,
1: I administrate all of it, and I'm responsible. So there's,
0: there's no like little areas that, for whatever reason, due to some obscure statute, you know. For example, Mark Bender does not have, um, over, or does not oversee the library or the, or the water treatment facility because it's specific RSAs that define those kind of things. So in your case-
1: Nope, at the end of the day, I, I am resp- responsible I am, for it all. Yes, I am, you know, and I delegate those, you know, right. some of those things to people who know more than, I I can't know everything about everything, you know. I have a I have an expert business administrator who knows finance and I have an expert, you know, facilities director who knows that. I ask questions. I know. I think what you would find about me is I know enough about everything to ask questions, mm-hmm. informed questions, that hopefully will elevate conversations to a different level. Um, but I'm certainly not an expert in everything. You just can't be. Of
0: course. Not. So
1: you surround yourself with great people.
0: Yep and so you report solely to the school board
1: solely to the school board so like i am their one employee there's
0: no um dotted line to the state anywhere or anything like no. okay
1: no the school board has one employee and that's me
0: okay so um who i don't want you to list names or but who are your direct reports to, um, imagine the principals. Yep,
1: the principals are my direct reports. Uh, the SAU directors are my direct reports. So the business administrator, director of technology, director of facilities and maintenance, uh, HR is split between me and the business administrator. So she kind of has a dual reporting system there. The assistant superintendent reports directly to me.
0: Okay, so those are the people that you probably do their performance reviews for, for example, that yes. type of thing. Okay, great, great. So how would you take me through a day in a day in your life? How what's your, what's a typical day? I'm sure there probably isn't a typical day, but like
1: no, it varies. I mean,
0: since you live in Burlington, stop from, from the morning. What time do you get up? I mean, so, that's, that's quite a commute. Do you come up Route 3?
1: I do come up Route 3. So a typical day starts for me about 5.30 in the morning, and my alarm goes off, and I get ready for work. I kiss my little Yorkie and my husband and my kids who are still at home goodbye and head up to Milford. And when I get into the office, I'm generally greeted by an even earlier bird, Janice French. She is our executive administrator and she, I always say to everyone, she really runs the roost. So she greets me in the morning and we sit down and look at my calendar for the entire day. She gives me a copy of my calendar and that could consist of doing building walkthroughs with principals. Um, She has my folder. I sign everything in my folder that needs to be signed. I have, I also have to approve every grant and all of the payouts for all of the grants. So some part of my day is doing administrivia like that, going into the grants management system, I'm required to approve all of the recertifications for all of the teachers. I have to sign off on all of the um, reimbursements. So a lot of paperwork mm-hmm. I have. I, you know, this year I've done some interesting things that other superintendents haven't done. You know, I shadowed two students for a full day. I shadowed a middle school student and I shadowed a high school student just to better understand what's a day in the life of yep. a kid like, right? Because yep. if we say we're, um, you know, about kids and you know making their experiences better, I thought, what better way to do that than to experience that uh, firsthand. And so that gave me a lot of insights into uh, some of the strengths and weaknesses that we have. And so I also, you know, the evenings, I've done a lot of community events, Um, you know, I... Go over curriculum. I meet with each, you know, of the directors regularly throughout the week. I run administrative meetings. Uh, we have administrative meetings every single week. Uh, and this year we're going to be tiering them. So we have principal meetings uh, scheduled each week, and then that group expands the next week to include SAU, and then the following week all of our district administrative team this year will be meeting just to make sure that you know everybody is on the same page and we're all moving the strategic plan forward in um, a pretty even keeled way. I meet with uh, community members. I've spoken to the Rotary. I've, you know, spoken on NPR. Last week, I presented at the State Collective Bargaining Retreat. So, you know, there's... And you're here. And I'm here. So (laughs) my days are are all very, very different. Last week, we had our administrative retreat. Monday was 12 hours, and I planned all of that. We did a lot of leadership training. We did legal updates and legal training. We did MTSS training. So, you know, that was a whole week of, you know, 12-hour days for all of us and then we had evaluation training at the end of the week for new administrators so you know I try to get into the schools as much as I can you know get into classrooms with principals you know try to keep on target you know moving the work forward. The budget is a big deal. You know, last year... <laughs>
0: I have a whole card just from the budget Yeah, so up. last
1: year, the budget took a significant amount of time, and we did a very, very different budget process. We put together a budget book that was about 159 pages of full explanations. We had budget guidelines. We did, you know, full... Um, you know, just sort of outlines of this is what we're asking for and why this is why we're trying to reallocate and restructure and shift monies so that we can put these positions in place because this is what our data is telling us and what, this is the information we've received from the community.
0: So you're going to do this every year, or is that just because it was your first year? No,
1: every year we plan on really putting a comprehensive explanation together for the community to understand. You know, where is their tax money going? Last year I was really proud that our initial budget proposal was actually a hundred thousand or close to that under Mm -hmm. um, the prior year and you know I think it was a big kind of shock to people as how did they do this you know where are they cutting from Uh, and you know, it was a really big restructure and, and in retrospect thinking like, how could we have communicated that even better? You know, mm-hmm. we thought we had this beautiful, transparent right. explanation, but I think it was hard for people to dig into that amount of that volume of material. People who did read it and really dug into it and understood it, they were fine. But then it created this mountain of misunderstandings and misinformation. And I think it was just a wave we were just unable to get out from under. Right.
0: So, what is? I mean, that's a great segue. What what is the budget process? I mean, the budget. I, 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 um, I assume, the statutorily, it's the uh, school board's budget. It's yeah. their budget. Yes. But you probably run run with the ball mostly.
1: Yeah. So in the past, you know, I did. I give
0: you guidelines. I'm guessing a framework. No.
1: So not in the past. In the past, what has happened, based on my reading of the board minutes, is that the board has sort of identified a number to cut. Okay. And there's like all I've ever seen, which isn't helpful at all. And then there have been this green and yellow book that's full of spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. And the -hmm. the superintendent was charged with go cut a million dollars or go you have to cut six hundred thousand dollars. And essentially, my understanding was is that the principals went into a room, and they basically jockeyed for who was going to cut what. And if you look at historically, what was happening was that the high school budget kept going up, and the elementary and middle school budgets kept getting cut. Hmm. And so I pointed this out in the budget process, and it just seemed very inequitable because there was really no guidelines. I was going
0: to say, was there a reason, I mean, probably there wasn't an a, um, enrollment
1: No, I think it it was who had the strongest voice at the table. And so that was the process, you know, here, cut this number. There was really no uh, guideline. There was no strategy. There was no rhyme or reason to really the cuts other than here are the number of students you have, and if you go under this number, we're going to cut this teacher, Mm -hmm. whether you had a class coming in that needed extra supports or they needed something else. It was a, basically here's your number, go cut. And so this year I, I said to the board, you know, I'd like to do something a little bit different. I'd like to establish guidelines and a plan moving forward based on the things I learned from the entry work that I did and work with the administrative team to build a budget based on an educational program rather than simply you know, arbitrary numbers. And that's what we did. And so the guidelines, we really wanted to improve access for all students. Uh, we wanted to uh, expand opportunities for kids, and we also wanted to sort of increase innovation. So the strategy behind the budget really was around how do we strengthen core instruction because we've seen particularly in literacy. Just a very just a decline that's been happening over the last five years. And our I just don't believe that our state scores reflect the full potential of Milford students. And as we're going to see, as they're out now, uh, this year's third grade proficiency rate is at 43%. So that means 67% of our third graders this past spring did not meet the proficient benchmark in third grade literacy. And third grade literacy is a critical benchmark, mm-hmm. right? It it can predict you know, the, the opportunities students have to graduate high school. It can predict their um, success later on in college. And so that decline didn't just happen, right? That decline has actually been happening for many years in Melford in literacy. We've seen it on our NWEA scores, and we've also seen it on our SAT scores in ELA. And so what that says to to me, um, when you look at data like that, that there's something at the core, right, of the instructional programming that we need to look more closely at. And so we also wanted to strengthen the elementary schools and our strategy this year was to really lower class sizes because last year we had class sizes in the elementary schools of 25, 26, Mm -hmm. you know. I think I even heard a parent say um, they had a class size of 27 in one classroom and this year we're going to be looking at 22 average and under, right, with 15 in kindergarten. So really, really made a concerted effort this year uh, to have a strategy and really target our resources and divert them to that strategy. And we've been able to. We have a whole new mental health team uh, on board, social workers in every single school. And that's really exciting because now we're going to be able to tap into you know, meeting more of students who have mental health needs, wraparound services for families, and uh, really attack some of the things that we've laid out in our strategic plan. So there's a lot of really great things coming. I think we have an awesome opportunity here in Milford. The taxpayers have been incredibly generous. When you think about over the last five years, you know, the amount of state aid that has declined. And Milford has continually stepped up to the gate and have provided for the schools. And I know that has been a a huge impact, you know, on taxpayers. And I'm grateful for it. But now we have to also be very mindful of that and be very, like, thoughtful of, you know, where we're diverting resources and not just having staff there, because we can, but putting staff in place who are in the right seats on the bus mm-hmm. in order to fulfill the outcomes that we've set out to do.
0: Yeah, no, you mentioned that about the tax base. You're, you're absolutely right, and I've always found it really interesting that, um, you know, the the voters most of the time will will pass a you know forty five million dollar school budget you know pretty substantially, but the town tries to get a forty thousand dollar sidewalk plow in, and we debate over it for hours and hours and hours and then ends up failing and it's, it's 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 an interesting dynamic. But you're right, the schools the schools and the emergency services always really get treated really well in Milford.
1: Absolutely, and you know we have an obligation mm-hmm. to you know give the taxpayers the return on their investment, and I really believe that if we're successful in executing this new plan and executing the strategy you know we're going to be one of the tops Districts in the state, I've had people call me and say, Wow, your strategic plan is outstanding. How did you put this together? Even last week after the collective bargaining retreat, I've had superintendents email me and say, That was a great presentation. We'd love to know how you were able to, you know, work up you know, this collective bargaining agreement. So there's so many great things happening in Milford, and that's what should mm-hmm. be the talk of the town, right?
0: Oh, no, I agree. I agree. What well, and actually that <clears throat> made me p- go go ahead and pull out one of my cards that i wanted to talk about you had mentioned this uh, i think this came from your 100 day plan i couldn't find it at the, i suspect it's not on the site anymore because 100 days are over yeah so maybe it's not pertinent but um um this was a this was from an article in the national i think it was in the telegraph might have been the cabinet um where they were quoting you and you said without a doubt all the components are here in this community to be the best school district in new hampshire yes you said the best you didn't say one of the best you said the best
1: Yep. i have no you, doubt there are great school districts in New Hampshire. I mean, look if when you look at the Nietzsche rankings right now, mm-hmm. right? I think Bedford's number one. Hollis Brookline is is right up there in the top three or five. You've Wh- got where are we? We're 23.
0: 23. Yes. Out of out of how many school districts are there, or how many were ranked?
1: Gosh, was it 70? I'm not sure. I I, I should okay. have looked at this. I looked at this about a week and a half ago, but I also look at 23, and a couple years ago we were 21. And a couple years before that, we were a little bit higher. And the same thing with the U.S. News and World Report, best high schools. You know, this year, I think we were 46, Milford High School, uh, out of uh, 90 in the state. In New Hampshire? Yep, in New Hampshire. And... I also look back at the board minutes, and in 2012, I think it was May 21st, 2012, um, Superintendent Supernaut brought in the high school staff to acknowledge that Milford High School was one of 13 acknowledged in U.S. News and World Reports. So when I look at those, I say to myself, huh, you know, there, there was a time where we were higher ranked. And so now it's time to sort of say, yeah, 23 is great. Well, we're, I'm glad we're in the top 23. But how do we start moving us in the other direction? You know, back towards closer to uh, the top. And I believe we have all of the makings to do that here. We have the staff. Uh, we have incredibly dedicated and passionate teachers. We have amazing. Our new administrative team is outstanding. We have a new high school principal who's excellent. We have a new elementary, early elementary principal who's just excellent. They were so cute the other day they had an ice cream social over at keys park and the high school principal was scooping ice cream for the little ones and helping the new elementary principal scoop ice cream and Mm. so i had my two bookend principals together doing a community event we've got a lot of community events planned for this year so a lot of great things ahead of
0: us Right. So you had mentioned the metrics. I don't know what what, what. what did you say we were? Twenty-three out of seventy, and what? What was that ranking?
1: Twenty-three. It's either twenty-three out of seventy or twenty-three out of ninety, on the Nietzsche rankings. Nietzsche. I just. Is that
0: a state thing or is that a federal? Uh,
1: I don't. I think it's just something. I, I'm not really sure because which the rankings. I, I saw th- an article in the patch. There was an article in the patch that had like the new, you okay. know, 2019-20 school rankings. It's called Nietzsche, and okay. so I saw it and I was like, oh, 23, okay. Because so because one
0: of my one of my questions was was that as I, I was going to ask you, what, you know, what are the metrics that we use to quali- you know to quantify success and failure? Because I do remember, you know. Time has a funny way of—I don't know whether this was five years ago or ten years ago, or whatever. But back in the days of um, No Child Left Behind, you know, there was these metrics. Um, uh, was it average, adequate yearly progress? Yep. Is that one
1: AYP? And um, yes. And
0: then schools in need of uh, improvement—I think was the other term. Um, and I do remember that at least one or two Milford schools were dinged because of that. But I don't think those are used anymore because I think that that legislation is no longer. No. Um, so, w- so what do you? I understand you just saw that in the in the paper. What do we use for metrics? Like, how do we decide that we we need improvement or we don't?
1: So that's really interesting. I, I'm not really sure. You know, Nietzsche, according to them, they use a variety of different things, not mm-hmm. just state assessment scores. They use um, even people's opinions mm-hmm. about the school district. So they use a variety of different metrics. U.S. News and World Report will use SAT scores. They'll use, you know, state assessment scores. They'll use a, a variety of different things. So but Do
0: we get graded and potentially punished, like with um, No Child Left Behind, that you might lose funding if you don't get a certain
1: amount? I haven't seen that in New Hampshire since I've been here, Hmm. so I've I think it's loosened up quite a bit.
0: Well, that's good. That's good.
1: I would have to look into that, so don't quote me on that.
0: I won't quote you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, the numbers that you uh, show are really great, so that's great. I'm I'm looking forward to us being number one in the state.
1: Well, we're going to work our tails off to do it. (laughs) You know, Like I said, I think we have all of the makings. We have the staff. We have, I think, the staffing structure that we put into place this year. Like I said, we've lowered class sizes. We've added reading specialists. We've added social workers. We've added some administrators where we needed them and we have a plan a really solid plan that if executed i think is going to to put us right up there
0: oh that's great so what do we do um let's go back a year when you came what what would you say milford was doing right and milford was doing wrong a year ago so you talked about the budget you said the budget was going in, in the wrong direction i get that
1: well, I think the the budget to say the budget was going in the wrong direction um, is a, is a pretty pretty bold statement. I would just say that the budget wasn't being done in in a way that I w- I had seen before, you know, without guidelines. And I think that the budget was increasing or decreasing every year without any real rhyme or reason. Mm-hmm. So. Um, You know, we tried to put some parameters around that. So your question was, what were we doing really well? You know, like I said, we have incredibly passionate teachers here in Milford who Mm -hmm. care deeply about students and work very, very hard uh, to to help them be successful. And we just do a great job with community partnerships. You can just tell that there's a very close connection between business and the schools, because look at our intern and externship programs that we have, our ATC center is strong. And we have some very innovative programs uh, in the ATC Center that I hope to see even expanded over this next year. We are starting our externship program with Spray Systems and Hitchner. That's new this year. We have a new mechatronics program pathway that we're beginning with Manchester Community College for ninth graders this year. And you know, we're hoping to explore health sciences and expand engineering uh, and computer science over the next few years. And we have a new ATC director who's uh, got a strong engineering background. And she's really outstanding as well. So I think that those things, you know, we were doing really, really well. I think the challenge that I found was, and this I think was just a result of having a part-time superintendent for many years, and the schools were really working as isolated entities. Mm-hmm. They weren't working as a coherent system, you know. And kids' educational experience is a K twelve continuum or pre K twelve continuum, and so when you have you know, five buildings working almost in complete isolation of one another, that causes some disconnects in mm-hmm. services. And so that was one thing that we've really worked hard over this past years to how can we create coherence, how can we create a systems oriented approach and not look at the budget as this is my high school budget, you can't touch it, this is my elementary budget, you can't touch it. But no, this is forty two million dollars that the town of Milford has entrusted us with. Where do we need what but to do the best and get the best outcomes for students and families, mm-hmm. and to give our taxpayers the best return on their investment, and so that was a big mind shift uh, for some of our administrators who were used to, this is mine, yep. and this is how I operate.
0: Yeah, no, I can understand that. Um, I see that you've got your strategic plan there open. I've, I've got. A, well, my next question was to ask you to talk about your portrait of a graduate, which I think that's the page you're open to. Yes. Right? So so is this a, a new initiative, a new um, concept that we have?
1: Yeah, so the portrait of a graduate is something that actually has caught wind nationwide. And in fact, the... Uh, commissioner of education, after our strategic plan went out, just a week or two afterwards, the commissioner sent out a notice to the entire state offering grant money to create their own portraits of a graduate. And so I felt very excited that Milford really led the way here with our portrait. And essentially what it is is six competencies that the community group that came together, there was about 80 of us business owners teachers we had 16 or 18 students on our committee we had administrators we had parents and they're all listed in the back to really kind of come to agreement on what are the key competencies that we want every Milford student to graduate with to be successful in college career and life And so, you know, these companies come, competencies come out of, you know, the best that we know in research to be uh, workforce ready, career ready, college ready, and life ready. And we landed on graduating critical thinkers and problem solvers. We talked about being personally responsible, and what does that mean? You know, displaying personal integrity and honesty and ethical behavior, um, acting in the best interests of the larger community. Uh, Another thing, flexible, adaptive, and resilient learners. How do you, you know, develop in students the ability to persist in setbacks, to Mm -hmm. persist in, you know, when they fail? How do we help help them get back up um, when they when they experience great resistance Mm -hmm. to achieving a goal you know, how do we model for them and develop in them, provide them opportunities to develop those skills so that when they go off into the real world, as I said to the graduating class of 2019, life's going to throw you curveballs. And they're going to throw things at you that you never saw coming or expected. And you're going to have to pull from deep within you. And that just doesn't happen all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. You develop that resilience and those skills from very, very early on. And so we need to provide students that safe place to be able to Fail forward, Mm -hmm. get back up, and continue on. um, And be adaptable and flexible. Um, How do we create innovators and creators in our schools? uh, Effective communicators and globally aware citizens. So we we nailed those six things as the competencies that we wanted. And the key now is, how do we provide those opportunities? What does our educational program look like for 13 years Mm -hmm. in order to ensure that every graduate from Milford leaves with those competencies? And that's the work ahead.
0: Great. That's awesome. So, if money were no object.
1: I love this question. Mm-hmm. I was so excited for you to ask me this question.
0: Money were no object. What would you what one thing? One thing. It can be a building, it can be a position, a program. Absolutely.
1: If I pool, could have whatever, one thing. One thing. What would you one get? One thing for the Milford community, we need a new high school. We absolutely I that might we be what need you're a 21st century learning um just a flagship school that is really going to, again, provide those opportunities for students to do the very things that we want them to do. And currently, our facility is, gosh, over half a century old. And it's in disrepair. Mm-hmm. And for us to truly have a 21st century learning environment is going to take an investment on behalf of the Milford community. And so I've been thinking to myself, what's the best way to do this? You know, do we build a section at a time? Like, we need a performing arts center. We have incredibly talented kids. We need a performing arts center. We need places for teachers to come together for professional development. We need 21st century learning spaces where kids can actually create and innovate. Our ATC center needs needs an overhaul in terms of, you know, the spaces to Mm -hmm. enable students to... And that's
0: actually the newest part of the building is the ATC.
1: Exactly. Yes. And so we want to create a health sciences pathway. We want to create engineering pathways, uh, robotics, mechatronics, cybersecurity pathways. You know, we need a building that is going to be able to reflect in the infrastructure to reflect the vision and mission that we've established as part of our strategic plan. So if I could have anything, and I'm hoping that we start socializing this conversation I think one of our community members, when we put the strategic plan before the community for a vote said you know how can we make sure that we don't lose sight of the facilities and infrastructure as part of the strategic plan because that's critical to Mm -hmm. the success and I thought that was brilliant so we actually added it in as part of the mission and so my hope is that we're gonna create a committee to do a self-study and look at that over the next year or two and really come up with a plan that we can get everyone in Milford behind um, to set us apart from other districts because i do believe you know we've seen a decline in population i think we have all the bones in the makings but what's going to draw people to the community as well is also going to be our infrastructure and facilities and there's no stopping us after that
0: Mm -hmm. no i agree with you we're at an interesting crossroads in the town you mentioned the performing arts um uh, two of my kids i've had four kids go through the schools actually i have four kids only three of them went through the schools. we're very in, in, into the performing arts. Um, but we're fortunate that we have the Amato Center too. So so there's a, you know, we, we can always work together. I was wondering what, this isn't a question, but I've just always thought, you know, would we really want to have a theater performing arts type thing in the high school when we have one at the Boys and Girls Club? you know it's kind of interesting and and the library um they're hoping to get a big expansion over there sometime soon so if if we can somehow do some synergy between you know the community all the different pieces in the community we can all work together maybe yeah um that's the kind of thing but no i, I agree with you about the high school that's a we're putting good money after bad over there every year so what is your favorite part of the job
1: my favorite part of the job
0: easy easy question i think <laughs>
1: two things. I love my team. I love the people I work with and I really love the work. I love the kids. I love seeing the kids accomplish things and I love being surprised um, when we put something in place that really works and people get excited about it. Um, I love problem solving. And I really love, you know, looking at something and trying to figure out, you know, how can we make it better? How can we capture one more student? How can we capture one more family and, you know, meet, meet the needs of one more group? So all of that's super fun to me. I'm very goal oriented and very driven and so you know when i set my eyes on something i have very high expectations and i always feel very gratified by accomplishing the mm-hmm. goals that we have in front of us and so working with people to do that together i love
0: great good answer um, okay so as you, you've discussed at length here, um, you, you've made quite a few changes. A lot of changes were um, implemented in the, in the year you've been here. Now, it's cliche, but obviously change is difficult. People don't like change, it's, yes. and, and that's actually very reasonable. It's very reasonable to uh, that people, you know, don't don't like change. Um, In hindsight, do you think you went too fast with anything?
1: So I think any good leader has to reflect on Mm -hmm. on that question. And I've had a tendency to move fast. And the reason for that is that these kids get one year in that seat, in that grade. Mm -hmm. And they're in that, that's their one opportunity. And I feel like sometimes the adults have such a hard time With change, that a child could miss out on their entire elementary Mm -hmm. experience by the time the adults are ready for the things that need to be done in order to make that experience better. Same with middle school, they get three years. Mm -hmm. High school, they get four years. And, you know, last year, I don't think a lot of change was made last year. We did diff- things differently, but the real change is coming this year. Mm-hmm. This year, there's a lot of change coming, and we've done a lot of work to prepare for it. But yeah, in retrospect, you know, I thought to myself, and again, this was my assumption I did this 100 day plan, and I got all this information, and I said, you know, what would it take for us to be best in class? What are the things you'd love to see changed? And I took all of that information, and then we did it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, for sure, this came from the people on the ground. Right. Why would they, like, what are we fighting about? You're fighting about lower class sizes. You're fighting about more supports in schools. You're fighting about adding social workers. And I've wrestled, I've wrestled with that. And, you know, in retrospect, um, you know, maybe an additional year might have been what it, it needed to take. Mm-hmm. But then I go back to, but that's that kid's going to be a junior or a senior. And so it's a, it's a tough thing, you know? Um, and at the end of the day, if we say that kids first, then sometimes we have to work through our own fears yeah. and, and do it for them. But
0: playing the devil's advocate, though, if you, know, if, you don't, if you don't get the adults on board, it, it won't happen.
1: Fair right? statement, right?
0: So, Absolutely. So it's gotta be, um, so, but that, that, that's fair. So other, other than any, do you have any regrets other than that, than the timing of thing? Would you do anything differently? If you started over one year ago,
1: yeah, I think so. I, I, I think I, I think I made some assumptions that, you know, these these things that people said they wanted, that they were they were ready to jump on board with, and, you know, from my perspective, I. I thought I communicated as best I could. You know, I, I offered 27 after school coffees for teachers and I put out a community survey and I, I, I listened to everybody, you know, and mm-hmm. I made changes along the way based on feedback that I was getting. And I can, I can see in retrospect that that probably felt like, um, you know, we're moving in this direction. And then, oh, but now they're changing, you know. But it's so difficult when you're making a budget in November and you're doing it for you know, 10, 11 months in advance, things change uh, across you know, those 10 oh, or yeah. 11 months. Yeah. Needs change. Programs are or aren't working, and we made some shifts. And so, yeah, in retrospect, I, I, I do wonder if um, taking more time would have done the trick. I also have heard from people that in Milford, we don't change, we tweak. <laughs> right, and so if that's the case, then you know you go back to that whole idea of tinkering towards utopia. Do you ever get there? Yeah. You know, do you ever reach your goals if you're only ever tweaking? Sometimes, you know, the ship does need to be shifted, and we have to make um, some difficult decisions. And so, you know, I'm still wrestling with, you know, yeah. making meaning of it all.
0: And, and you hit on an important point, and we don't have time to talk about it here. But just communication. I mean, you hear that. All the time communication is key communication but with the you know the new realities of social media and and you know there's so many new aspects of public engagement that can go off the rails in a split second and then things snowball and so, I, I don't know how we deal with that but absolutely that's a, that's a big that's a big deal
1: I can remember last spring that you know there was like I think I said this earlier I just felt like I was under this tidal wave of misinformation, Mm -hmm. you know, things as simple as, oh, they're eliminating all AP and honors courses from the high school. Well, that was like the furthest furthest thing from the truth. In fact, I wanna see AP courses expanded. I want more kids taking AP courses. I want more students taking honors courses. And, you know, currently at the high school last year, we had 67 total kids out of 810 taking an AP course. 67. Mm -hmm. So my question to the community was, does that reflect the potential of all Milford students, and I don't believe it does. You know, how many students, more students should we have taking honors courses, and why aren't they? You know, is it a scheduling issue? Is it a, you know, interest issue? Are we, you know, moving students along that track of taking more rigorous courses? And I got a lot of pushback from that. Well, what do you mean? you know, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? What do I mean? Like, I want more kids taking more rigorous courses. Right. And you know, we'll be exploring how do we increase those numbers over the next couple of years. Yeah,
0: you no, know, it's it's an interesting dynamic, the the whole the whole Facebook thing. I don't even know <laughs> how to get into it, so I won't. <clears throat> Anyway, so okay, we're we're, we're coming coming close to our. Oh, actually, we're over an hour. See, that's a good sign. That's been that went well. So, before we finish, I just want to do this quick lightning round. Yes. I'm just going to give you a ball, bunch of one one line questions. Give me one line answer just to kind of peer little fun questions to fit, peer into your who you are. All right. It's hot summer days. Do you want to go to the beach or a lake? The beach. Your favorite flavor of ice cream. Almond Joy. Wow! <laughs> is that a candy bar? Is that a, I guess it they is. They have
1: almond Joy ice cream. It's my huh? favorite. Yeah. Oh,
0: interesting. What was the last concert you went to?
1: Oh my gosh, the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Mansfield.
0: Okay. Loved it. Great Woods, huh? Uh, your favorite vacation spot? I think we talked about this.
1: Favorite vacation spot? Uh, probably Myrtle Beach.
0: All right. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Um, What was the last Halloween costume you wore? Ooh.
1: I don't know, but I will tell you that Mr. O'Connell over at Jock's is making me wear a costume this year for the (laughs) Halloween parade. Okay. And so we're trying to coordinate what we're going to be. And so we were throwing out some ideas the other day, and he, he threw out possibly him being Woody and me being Jesse from... You know, Toy, Toy Story, story. Yeah. yep. So we're gonna try to do something interesting that will, you know, be fun for the community. I don't know how I'm gonna look as a redhead, but <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna give it a whirl.
0: All right, good. And finally, who was your favorite teacher pre-college and why?
1: My favorite teacher pre-college and why? Gosh, that is an awesome question. Probably, I had a teacher... In 10th grade, her name was Mrs. Goss, and she wasn't, she was actually a student teacher. And I was a terrible math student my whole life and had a terrible experience in Algebra One my freshman year. And Mrs. Goss, she became my student teacher for geometry my 10th grade year, and she turned me into an A math student. And so that tells you something, right? That you took a kid who had no confidence in mathematics, had always done badly in mathematics, and she turned me, literally, I got A's in math for the rest of my educational career. The power a teacher has is so formidable. And like I said, I think sometimes we get distracted by all the outside factors that we think we can't impact, but we have so much control that we have within us to make a difference in a kid and really change a course, mm-hmm. and that's what she did for me, and um, I'll never forget her.
0: Oh, that's great. I have a similar experience with, with math. I was a very bad math student in high school, and I ended up my degrees in math. I Isn't that up, incredible? I, I got turned around, I love math now. That's I
1: incredible. Yeah. I,
0: I actually... I'm almost ashamed to say this, but I sometimes read math textbooks at home. read yeah. textbooks. I, you know, I. It's like it's just I, the power. I, I like it. The
1: power of an educator, right?
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, we're pretty much out of time. Do you have any any final thoughts? Any final words you'd like to say?
1: Yeah, I would just like to say, like, I'm thrilled to be here in Milford. You know, I don't, I don't think I've ever been so all in, right? And I think. I hope I've demonstrated that, especially this spring. I took quite a beating. And not a whole lot of people, I think, would come out of that you know, feeling as optimistic and excited as I feel today, uh, having this plan before us and having the team that we have in place and you know, going into this year with all these new wonderful things for children. And my hope is, is that people will start to really get excited about our new vision. I mean, if you can't get behind this, that the Milford School District will be an inspiring community where deep learning and strong relationships empower all students to become designers of their own story, I don't know what you can get behind because that is a powerful statement um, that every kid has an experience where they're going to design the rest of their lives and they'll have the skills and competencies to do so no matter what they choose and whatever avenue they decide to go. So I'm super optimistic and excited and I want the community to know that and I hope that they're going to get as excited about the work we have ahead of us and join us in partnership and uh, see what amazing things we can do together.
0: Great, thank you. And I and and I, I hope you do um, hang in there. Thank you. I do. You. I mean, I I uh, you know watching from afar, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say it's not fair. I don't want to take sides on any issues. But what you've been you've you've been through a lot last year, and and uh, and I hope you, and you've shown a lot of composure, and I hope you uh, you stick with it. Thanks you again to dr heisinger for joining us today i would also like to thank chris gentry our gtm media manager who served today as producer director audio engineer and all-around go-to person for this episode our theme music was composed and performed by kevin mcleod of incompetech.com As always, we welcome any and all feedback or suggestions that you may have for future episodes. We invite you to go to the Granite Town Media Facebook page or leave a comment on the Granite Town Media page at soundcloud.com. Thank you, and we hope you join us again on future episodes of Granite Town Media's Inside Milford.